0: This is VLX number 130. We are in Matthew chapter 21, verses 14 to 22, the mouth of infants. VLX stands for Video Lectio Divina, the Patristic Bible Study, and Ignatian Prayer Series Online. God give you his peace. In nomine Patris et Fidit, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. Amen. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. And we're back in the production of VLX here Thank you to all of you who were praying originally for the health of my mother and now, sadly, the repose of her soul. But behind the sadness is some uh, really beautiful things that have happened towards the end of her life and in my family's life that I'm going to share a little bit with later in this podcast. Please join me in praying. Eternal rest grant unto her, O Lord, and may perpetual light shine upon her. And again, we were overwhelmed in charity with how many people prayed for my family. One other quick announcement before we get into the text of the Bible today, and you will see that I have a new blog post on the Life Update section called Production Update. I'm going to link that in the show notes, and that's going to tell you where we're going with VLX and RCT. Good news on that. Sunday Scripture Series, we're going to recommence a little bit later, but we're going to have kind of a treat in place of that for some pilgrimages that I'm going to be doing, and you're invited to those. Uh, As I said, on the last RCT, it's not my donors paying for those pilgrimages, it's the other pilgrims, and we still have some openings. I will link the information about that, again, in that blog post called Production Update, which I will include in the show notes. Now, since it's been a little bit uh, of time since our last VLX, remember, we're still in Holy Week, even though in real time we're in Easter. Back in Matthew chapter 21, we are in the first Holy Week here. And I want to remind you what Father Lapide, and again, Father Lapide is this 16th century Jesuit who conglomerated all the church fathers in a nearly infallible, not exactly but nearly infallible way. And one of the things he points out to us is the timeline of where we are in Matthew 21. So let's just really quickly review that. Christ, therefore, on Palm Sunday, entered into the city and the temple in solemn pomp. He prayed and gave thanks to God. Afterwards, about eventide, he went out of the city to Bethania with the Twelve Apostles, and on the next day, Monday, he returned to the city and the temple and drove out of it the sellers and the buyers." So that's about where we are today. And then some of the modern scripture scholars who don't believe, they point out that there was uh, one early cleansing of the temple in John, and then the Synoptic Gospels, the cleansing is much later. The Church Fathers were well aware of this and they just said there was two cleansings of the temple. In fact, that's because that's simply what happened. You know, the, the, the evangelists weren't trying to put one over us. And if they were, they certainly wouldn't have been silly enough to not coordinate their stories uh, ahead of time with an early and a late cleansing of the temple if there weren't, in fact, two, two cleansings. And that's why Father Lapidus says, Christ twice cast out buyers from the temple. The first time at the beginning of his preaching in John chapter 2, verse 14. Notice John chapter 2. Chapter 2 means at the beginning of John's gospel. And then the second, towards the end of it, four days before his death, as is plain from this passage in Matthew chapter 21. And now we enter into the text itself. We are in Matthew 21. Verse 14 reads, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The word there in Greek for he healed was etherapiusen. Notice that is obviously the root word of our English therapeutic. Now, one reason we're going to see that this verse is so important very soon is what is convicting the Pharisees' consciences. It's not advanced theology or debates on the Torah. You know, their hearts at this point are so darkened that what is convicting them here is the miracles they themselves see and the fact that even children now can recognize Jesus as the Messiah probably the pharisees remembered isaiah chapter 35 verse 5 which said that the miracle the messiah rather would work such miracles isaiah 35:5 says then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped okay then the next verse verse 15 but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple hosanna to the son of david they were indignant So notice right there, we have a repeat, and very rarely do the gospel writers repeat something. But right here, they were repeating what we heard. I think it was in the last VLX, and it was Matthew 21, verse 9. It says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So the very fact that St. Matthew reminds us of this again is very important. It's it's making it very clear the Messiah, the longed-after one, the only Messiah to the Jewish people, and, we will soon learn, the Messiah to all the nations, he is now entering Jerusalem. And you think the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, would be excited about it, but no, there's a word in Greek there, which is iganaktisan. iganaktisan means they were angry, or they were incensed. Okay, and then verse 16. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. Now there's a few different translations depending on what Bible you're using, but they all pretty much agree that word mouth of infants is there. That's why we name this VLX of today after that. And you know, that's a direct quote from Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is the same numbering uh, that early in the Psalms, whether you're on the Catholic and Orthodox one or the Protestant, that unfortunately most Catholics are on. Either way, you're going to find that in Psalm 8. So what Jesus is saying is, in quoting in Psalm 8, is that these little kids are recognizing the Messiah. These little children, literally infants, are basically calling Jesus the Messiah. Now, let's talk about that verse. How young are kids are we talking about? There's a little bit of disagreement even among the church fathers. All the church fathers here are agreed that these are children young enough that they did not know their theology. Of course, they could see the basics that this was the Messiah. Kids often can see theology quicker than adults. But the church fathers, they are divided on if these were children unlettered in theology, but not too young to speak, or little children, yes, unlettered in theology, and too young to speak at all. Well, Father Lapide comes down on the side of St. John Chrysostom who believes these were literally infants too young to speak who were calling Christ the Messiah. So that's quite miraculous in that sense. These are infants who can't speak, yelling out that Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, infants know more theology than the hierarchy of the one true world religion at the time. Then we have the bonus miracle that St. John Chrysostom holds these weren't even kids who could speak at the time who were recognizing Christ as a Messiah. And I would even add, you guys are probably tired of me making these allusions to the current hierarchy, but this is not how it was 100 years ago. We really are at the point where traditional Catholic children, they simply know more theology than most priests. I'm sorry to say it. It's It's just a fact at this point. And that's because the hierarchy is diverted from apostolic Catholicism. Now, you guys always hear me reference apostolic Catholicism. What is it? Well, in the show notes, I'm going to link a new blog of mine called Why Apostolic Catholicism, which answers that. Because things now are dangerous for those who follow apostolic Catholicism, and that's similar to why it gets dangerous for Jesus. The next verse. Verse 17 reads, And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Okay, and then Jesus passes the night there. And in the the morning, we come to verses 18 and 19, which reads, In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Okay, just a quick note here. Father Lapide says this morning is the Monday immediately following that first Palm Sunday. In fact, he says this Monday is the 21st of March in that first Holy Week that year. He says it fell on the 21st of March. That is the Monday. Okay, and then verse 19. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Let's talk about a couple Greek words here. Uh, One is we have a word that we see a lot in the gospel, monon, which just means alone or only. And what was only on that tree? It was only, or monon, only fula. What is fula? Fula is the plural for a word that sounds like something only a couple culinary experts out there might get. What does fula sound like? Well, if you guessed phyllo dough, you're correct. Phyllo, as in phyllo dough, is so-called because of its flaky leaves that come off, say, if you're making a Greek baklava or a Greek meat pie. And then another important word here, and we miss this in the English, by the way. In the English, we miss it, but there's a Greek word there called parachima. Parachima means immediately in biblical Greek. Now, St. Matthew didn't just put it there for exaggeration. It's saying it didn't take a week for this fig tree to dry up. It happened as soon as Christ said it. And then verse 20, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? Okay, so notice right there, after seeing so many miracles of Christ, why, would, why in the world would they be astonished at such a seemingly small miracle? Well, it's, not, it's because it didn't dry up a week later. It's because it dried up at once. In Greek, parachima, as soon as he says it, it dries up. So that word is kind of key in the Greek there. Father Lapide writes, Christ cursed the fig tree and dried it up that he might manifest his power. By which he was able, in like manner, to destroy and wither up the scribes and the Jews, his enemies, if he wished, and to show that he would shortly suffer the cross and death at their hands, not against his will but voluntarily. Note that this curse of Christ was not directed at the tree, at the tree per se, but was symbolic, a sort of catachresis. For this malediction only signifies that Christ prayed for evil to befall the fig tree, that is, for it to wither which is permissible to ask in the case of inanimate things for a sufficient reason, especially for Christ. So is Father Lapide saying it didn't really happen? No, of course he is. He's saying it it happened historically, but it's also symbolic. Only modern scripture scholars make this divide between historic and symbolic. All the early church fathers say that everything in the Old and New Testament literally historically happened, and then they are able to add symbolic meaning, or rather read symbolic meaning into it. But the symbolic for the church fathers, except for a couple guys who never got canonized, the symbolic is always based on the literary and the historical. Now, some people will say that sounds like you're a backwater Baptist or a fundamental Catholic. Well, guess what? Or fundamentalist Catholic. That's what all the church fathers, that's what every saint, that's what every pope, at least up to 1950, how they always interpreted the Bible was literally. So no, that doesn't make you a backwater Baptist or a fundamentalist. That is how Catholics have always interpreted the Bible, is literally and historically. So Christ really curses the fig tree, but it also, in some sense, represents this transfer of the kingdom from the Jews to the apostles. Now, if anybody out there thinks that cursing, or a malediction rather, isn't befitting of God, did you know that the old rite of blessings before Vatican II had curses? And we traditional priests still have access to it. Now, of course, we don't curse people, but as Father Lapide just said, inanimate objects. So in the old rite, and I have this in my hermitage here in Weller's book, there is a banishment of vermin. It's a curse of vermin, that is rats, and you can use that to banish vermin from the land of your parishioners. And so it's technically considered a curse because it's not a blessing of rats. If you don't believe me, listen to my old book of blessings. And it's the one curse I know of in the Air Against Rats. It's called the, the Curse Against Vermin. And it reads thus, I cast you out, noxious vermin, by God the Father Almighty, by Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, and by the Holy Spirit. May you speedily be banished from our land and fields, lingering here no longer, but passing on to places where you can do no harm. In the name of the Almighty God and the entire heavenly court, as well as in the name of the Holy Church of God, we pronounce a curse on you that wherever you go, you may be cursed, decreasing from day to day until you are obliterated. Let no remnant of you remain anywhere except what might be necessary for the welfare and use of mankind. Be pleased to grant our request, you who are coming to judge both the living, the dead, and the world by fire. Amen. And then the places infested are sprinkled with holy water. So notice right there, even that allows for God's permissive will and hopes that they just leave at least, maybe be obliterated. But we read in that curse, let no remnant of you remain anywhere except what might be necessary for the welfare and use of mankind. Okay, and back to the text. So remember, the apostles are amazed that the fig tree immediately withers at Christ's words. And then verse 21, And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea. It will happen. Okay, now the Dewey Rhymes here is more accurate on that word that I want to consider today. It's a really important word. Listen to the Dewey Rhymes on verse 21. Jesus says, Amen, I say to you, if you shall have faith and stagger not, not only this of the fig tree shall you do, but also if you say to this mountain, take up and cast thyself into the sea, it shall be done. So notice the ESV says, if you don't doubt, but the Dewey Rhymes says, if you stagger not. I believe the Dewey Rhymes here is closer to the Greek word I want to look at. Again, in English, if you stagger not. We're going to look at the Greek word diakrino, and in the active tense, diakrino means I separate, I distinguish, I discern one thing from another, according to Strong's Dictionary. But in the middle, the middle tense is somewhere between active and passive. Diakrino means I doubt, or I hesitate, or I waver. So if you take that middle tense definition, which is accurate, and you place it into, or rather, understand that to mean the word, that Christ means it to me, it's it's basically Jesus is saying, if you pray and don't hesitate, God answers it. Now, what does that mean, if you pray and don't hesitate? Well, it doesn't mean you're supposed to pray in a frantic or frenetic way. Even less does it mean that you can presume on God's miracles if you're not living a holy life. But here's what it's saying. It's saying that if you really pray by thinking God is currently answering your prayer, if you really pray with your whole heart in a state of sanctifying grace, God will answer it. Unfortunately, my mom did die, but there may have been miracles in her soul and those of others in those last three days of her on earth. You know, I wondered why God answered those prayers of mine in that last week of my mom being alive and maybe not other prayers the past few years for a variety of topics. And I realized what was different this time is I was praying with my whole heart because it really mattered to me, my mom's salvation. You see, over the past few years, over many topics, prayer topics far outside my family, I've rattled off Psalms or Hail Marys just thinking God has to answer them because I'm doing these three or four hours of prayer as a traditional priest every day without really putting my heart into it. And, well, there probably wasn't a lot of answer to that prayer. But that's probably what Jesus means by not hesitating and being well, being the opposite of such sloppy and presumptuous prayer, I finally let that settle in because I was in an emergency a month ago. And I really needed my mom's salvation. Of course, I don't know where she is now. I'm not saying she's necessarily saved. But we got some astonishing, astonishing signal graces that she made it. And I think that's because, um, one, she was a, a Catholic her whole life and died with a scapular and prayed the rosary. Um, she was a good person. But... We prayed and sacrificed with my whole heart, our whole hearts, for the first time in a long time. And I had always had a lot of faith in the saints' prayers, but only the past month did I have faith in my own prayers rejuvenated. So again, Jesus' words, If you shall have faith and stagger not, not only this of the fig tree shall you do, but also if you shall say to this mountain, Take up and cast thyself into the sea, it shall be done. Oh, and one of the Greek words in there is that the apostles ethelmausen. What does it mean, the apostles emathausen? Well, ethelmausen means full of wonder. They were full of wonder at this miracle of our Lord. Does that word remind you of any saint? Well, there's a church father who lived in the Holy Land in the 3rd century named Saint Gregory Thaumaturgus, which is the Latin and the English transliteration of that Greek word wonder, ethamousen. So that is why the old calendar calls him Th- St. Gregory Thaumaturgus, and some of the new translations call him St. Gregory the Wonderworker. And you know what he did? At his prayers, God literally moved a mountain. Listen to the old Roman breviary, which is considered a nearly infallible hagiographic source. This is from the 17th of November in the old Roman breviary, which I pray. Again, nearly infallible. Even St. Thomas Aquinas uses the old liturgy and the Roman brevi as proofs in his Summa. St. Gregory, bishop of Neo-Caesarea and Pontus, was famous for his holiness and learning, but still most famous for his signs and miracles. These were so numerous and outstanding that he was called Thaumaturgus, the wonder St. Basil compares him to Moses, the prophets, and the apostles. By his prayer, he changed the location of a mountain which was obstructing the building of a church. He dried up a swamp, which was a cause of discord between two brothers. When the river Lycus was destructively flooding the fields, he drove his staff into the bank, where it grew into a green tree, and he compelled the river never afterwards to go beyond that spot. He very frequently cast out demons from the images of idols and from the bodies of men, and did many other wonderful things by which innumerable men were drawn to the faith of Jesus Christ. He also had the prophetic spirit of predicting future events. When he was about to depart this life, he asked how many unbelievers still remained in the city of Neo-Caesarea. When he was told there were only 17 unbelievers, he thanked God and said, There was just that number of believers when I became bishop. His many writings as well as his miracles enlightened the church of God. So when Jesus says in verse 21, even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. That was a prediction of the grace he would give St. Gregory that literally he would move a mountain one day. Okay, and now we look at the very last verse of today, verse 22, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. This verse reminds me a lot of Mark 11:24, 24, where Christ says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, of course, I'm the last person in the world to say positive thinking is going to change your life. But if we have a gospel equivalent to that, it's that. Because Christ is saying you actually have to believe it's coming to you to receive it. You see that level of faith we're required to have? You know, we think it's humility to race through the rosary because God would never answer the prayers of a worm like me. But that's just it. If you really believe God is good and you are not if i really believe god is good and i'm not that is the humility needed to make a good prayer whatever you ask in prayer christ says believe that you have received it and it will be yours so you kind of do have to mind will it to actually make that connection with god's grace it doesn't mean positive thinking will make a difference but it does mean you actually have to have believed it's coming to you how is this not presumption i don't know but our lord says it it's it's his words not mine And it's because he's assuming you're going to be on his side. You know, we don't want God on our side. We want to be on on God's side. So this does presume living somewhat of a holy life. But we still have to start believing God wants to answer our prayers even before we're saints. That's why, again, I think he showed up with miracles at my mom's deathbed as he did. And she did die, but with great light and grace and peace then in all honesty, I can say I had not expected a month earlier. I'm not saying she was a bad person a month before that. She was a great person. But, you know, we all have some strikes against us in dysfunction, including myself. And those last prayers and the last graces went far beyond what I had expected. But I think it's because we were all praying. Probably my mom, too, even though she was nonverbal. We were praying like we had never prayed before. So even though she died, we saw all this light and grace and miracles because we finally were praying as a family um, with our whole hearts, not just rattling off prayers, including myself. Father Lapide, we'll close with these words. Father Lapide says, For many, because they think what they ask are arduous and difficult, are in doubt whether they shall obtain it from God, and so do not obtain it. But those who do not distinguish between easy and difficult, thinking that what is difficult to them is easy to God, and who therefore rely on the divine omnipotence, goodness, and promise, by which he has promised that we shall obtain from him all things, which we ask of him with a sure faith and confidence, wherefore I say they lift up their minds and hopes above their infirmity and set them upon God, certainly expecting from him the end and fruit of their prayer. Please say an Our Father for me at Benedictio de Omnipotentes, Patris aeterni et Spiritus Sancti descendat super vos et manet semper, Amen.